a real joy to be back with you in Hamilton, uh, especially having heard the news that uh, you have called Craig and that Craig has accepted the call. We rejoice with you and we really look forward to seeing in the goodness of God a season of blessing uh, in the church. That would be wonderful. I have a frog in my throat, and if the frog becomes too noisy, I apologize, but I didn't want to miss this opportunity because it might not come my way again. So let me start off by saying to you that in 1965, a song was released that had been written by a guy called Hal David. And I suspect that some of you will be able to quote the words of the first verse. It starts off what the world needs now. I don't know if you want to sing it. <laughs> I had thought momentarily of singing it, but then I thought better not. Do you know the rest of, of that first verse? Yes? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. Can you imagine what our world would be like if there was more love in, in it? We wouldn't be bothered having to lock our doors, would we? I could have probably left the keys in my car outside in the certain knowledge that it would be there after the service. We wouldn't have to uh, cope with crime because there wouldn't be any crime. What about the politicians? They wouldn't be arguing with each other and telling us stuff that we really don't believe and we wouldn't be questioning any of their integrity. What about the Ukraine and Russia? If there was more love, there would be no wars, would there? And of course, if there was more love, there would be no estranged families. But sadly, we need more love because there isn't just sufficient love in the world at the moment. If there was more love, it would be a kinder, more generous, more caring and forgiving world. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. So what's the problem? Why isn't there more love? Well, people say, I love you all the time. That being the case, why hasn't the world changed? There's a problem, of course. Everybody feels love, but we don't exactly understand it. We're very selective as to whom we show love, and we're very inconsistent with it over time. We try to describe it, but we have a hard time finding the right words. And when it comes to God's love, the infinite, enduring, unconditional love of a heavenly Father, we really can't relate. We always try to put it in our own human terms, but our own human terms always fall a little bit short. It's very hard for us to describe love. I don't know if some of you older folks remember when Prince Charles, now King Charles, announced his engagement to Princess Diana, and there was that toe-curling interview when the a uh, journalist said, you both look very much in love. And Diana said, oh yes, absolutely. And Charles, he said, whatever in love means. Do you remember that? 
Now, I thought, oh dear, that wasn't very, very wise of him at the time. But I have to tell you that with the wisdom of hindsight, I kind of understand where he was coming from. Because I, I, I try to tell my wife every day that I love her. And I'm so grateful she doesn't stop and say, well, now, can you tell me exactly what you mean by that? <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> the stuff's on the floor there and you haven't done that job around the house. So I'm glad she doesn't ask me to define love for her. What we can be sure of is this, that everybody is looking for love. It's an inbuilt need that we have. Sadly, some folks end up looking for love in the wrong places. If we all need the same kind of love, then the source of that love would have to be absolutely extraordinary, wouldn't it? In fact, the only possible source would be God. Sadly, there are very many folks who've never experienced the love of God because they don't know that it's available. And there are others who know about the love of God, but they've never experienced it either. And there are still others who have experienced the love of God, but not on a daily basis, just from time to time. And their view of God sometimes gets mixed up with their love their parents had for them. And perhaps if you're a little bit naughty from time to time, your parents chastised you, probably rightly, because you probably deserved it. And sometimes we can think of God a little bit like our father, sometimes angry, sometimes raising his voice, and sometimes punishing us in ways that we long remember. Folks very often find it hard to believe that God's love is unconditional. The extraordinary thing to me is this, that God is affectionate and gracious when we are good, and he is affectionate and gracious when we are not good. His love is tough and complete, which means that it includes selective correction. You see, God loves us so much that when we move in directions that are harmful for us, he disciplines us in order to bring us back into line. Why? He wants the very best for us because he's well disposed towards us. He wants us to have the highest quality of existence that we can have. I wonder, do you realize what that means for you personally? Whatever it means to be filled to the brim with goodness and life, that's what God wants for you even today. He wants that for you now in this life, and he wants that for you for the whole of eternity. And when pleasures will move us towards that kind of life, God sends us pleasures. But more often, pain will move us in that direction. So sometimes God sends us pain. He stands ready to do whatever it takes to provide his children with abundant life. The whole issue of love I find very confusing. We've just got one English word for it. But there are at least eight Greek words that are translated love. I love my wife. I love a bacon sandwich now and again, as long as the bacon's well done. I, lo I love ice cream. 
And uh, I love some dogs, but you know, I don't love them all in the same way. The word used for God's love is the word agape, which you've heard before. It is a giving, sacrificial, and it's unconditional, and it's boundless. Now, we read together, didn't we, Paul's description of the dimensions of God's love. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I find it really interesting that he's beginning to pray that we might know that which is beyond knowing. I think what he's saying is we can't know it all, but he prays that we might know and understand all that it's possible for us to know and understand, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So he gives us, if you like, a description of the dimensions of God's love, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Well, let's just pause and think about that for a moment. How high is God's love? Well, we go to the Scriptures, don't we, for an answer. Because Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And how high are the heavens above the earth? Well, I'm not into astronomy, but it seems to me that every now and again they announce that they've discovered a new galaxy or a new star that's even farther away, and they sent the Hubble telescope into, into space, uh, and it can see farther, and I think they've sent another one more recently. And they keep discovering that there is more to be discovered. So how high is God's love? As high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. How wonderful. Well, how long is God's love? Well, I don't think we can measure it. All we can really say, it's as long as eternity. It's as long as eternity. And what about the breadth of God's love? How wide is it? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And I just love that word, however, or, or rather whoever, because it just means that God's love is as broad as humanity. Isn't that right? It's whoever. It doesn't say just Irish and Scottish folks. It says whoever. How extraordinary is that, that God's love is wide enough to encompass the whole of humanity? Well, how deep is God's love? Well, I can't answer that other than to say, God's love reached down and grabbed hold of me. And that's what God does. And um, if you knew me, you would marvel at the grace of God in reaching out and touching my life. So we want to ask the question this morning, how does God reveal his love? Well, I tell you that he reveals his love to us in a number of ways. The first way is, is through creation. You see, God chose to make us in his own image, and he made us responsible for looking after the world in which he placed us. 
Colossians 1, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And I think that, that last phrase, through him and for him, is, is really significant. Create, we've been created for him so that he can relate to us in intimate love. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So creation reveals his power, and the way we were created reveals his love. How extraordinary is that? So God reveals his love through creation. He also reveals his love through the incarnation. I just love that little verse in Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I especially like the little word seek because that means that God pursues us. He pursues us. He kind of ambushes us. He ambushed me when I was about 22 and a half how wonderful. I'm 50 years a Christian this year. Marvelous. How gracious God is to seek us. And here we get a glimpse of how God actually feels about us. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe in your more honest and sober days, when you look in the mirror and you read the Word of God and the light of the Word begins to expose your own heart Maybe like me, you wonder how on earth could God love somebody like me? But God does. How extraordinary. What great lengths God goes to reach us. And I guess if we had time to go around asking one another for their story, I guess most of us would have stories that are incredibly different. Why? Well, our sin against God is personal. And God seeks us personally individually. How marvelous is that? And then another evidence of God's love is discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. How, how extraordinary that is. I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant or a coffee shop, and there's been maybe a, a mother there with a child, and the child is particularly fractious and and naughty and unpleasant, and you sit there and you just want to go up and you want to have a stern talking to both the child and the mother. Because when discipline is, is not um, exercised, when a parent ignores the child, instinctively we feel that something isn't right. Isn't that true? Well, one of the greatest evidences of love is when you care enough to confront, correct, and prevent those you love from self-destructive behaviors. And God cares like that. You can be hard-hearted, of course, and you can keep moving in the wrong direction. But if you do keep moving in the wrong direction, well, God will hit you just a little bit harder. That's what God does. But he always does it in love. He uses the appropriate discipline in the appropriate amounts to express his concern. And our hardships are actually very often a proof of his love for us. Not always, but very often a proof of his love for us. So God reveals his love through creation, through the incarnation, and through discipline. 
But he reveals his love for us supremely in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate expression of God's love. And that little text tells us two things. It tells us, first of all, that God is invisible. But it also says, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. We see all of the attributes of God present in Jesus. Jesus touched the untouchable, and he reached out to those rejected by society. I remember many years ago, I had the privilege of preaching in Nigeria for six weeks or so as a student. And I was in a church in a place called Bauchi, about 80 miles east of Jos. And the church seated about 1,000 people. And there was a lean-to on the side with maybe another 250. And uh, that was the English-speaking the English congregation I was working with, but there was a, a, a Hausa congregation and a Yoruba one as well. And I remember one day being introduced to a man who lived on the church compound. And this fellow had leprosy. And he had no fingers and he had no feet. He used to go around on the palms of his hands and his knees. I knew a little bit about leprosy. I knew that it wasn't infectious. But I can remember when I was introduced, he looked up at me and he put up his, what passed for a hand. And I had to take a grip of myself and reach out and shake his hand. And I don't think I was ever more like Jesus. And that really brought that text to life for me. Jesus reached out and touched those whom others refused to touch. Do you remember the, the last Passover with the disciples? Do you remember? It was John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And you can just imagine Jesus coming into the upper room with the others. And the others were all standing there thinking, well, we've washed in preparation for the Passover, but we don't have socks on. We've just got sandals and our feet are dirty. So where's the servant? Who's going to wash our feet? And they were all standing around looking. And then Jesus takes the towel and wraps it around himself and he begins to wash their feet. How marvelous that was. How marvelous that Jesus would do that. Or, or, or think of the prodigal son uh, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. In that parable, we see the father searching every day, waiting for the son to come home. And, and our father is waiting every day for us to come home. Our repentance does not generate the love that he has for us. Our repentance simply brings us into an experience of his love. Jesus taught that the Father feels compassion for every single moment of every single day. And his arms are open wide and he's going to kill the fatted calf, put a ring on our fingers and sandals on our feet to let us know that you and I, we are his beloved sons and daughters. And he's got a warm coat of blessing to put over your shoulders when you step in from the cold. He wants to show you how much he has loved you all along. Now just think of the cross. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay. And we each one have incurred that debt by the sin that has touched our lives. So let me ask you a simple question. What more does God have to do to show you that he loves you? What more does God have to do to show you that he loves you? How does God reveal his love? Well, through creation, through the incarnation, through discipline, and supremely through his Son, our Lord Jesus. So the second question we want to pose this morning is simply this. We've asked, how does God reveal his love? So now we want to ask, how, how do we respond to his love? How ought we to respond to God's love? Well, let me make just a couple of suggestions. The first is this, that we have to receive God's love. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, sometimes when we read verses like that, we, we forget that they're really very personal. And sometimes it's really a good thing to insert our own names there. God so loved Michael that he gave his one and only son that if Michael believes in him, Michael shall not perish but have eternal life. And you can put your own name there as well. God loves us and gave his son so that eternal life might be ours. How wonderful is that. But this is something that needs to be received. I put a little picture of a Christmas present or a birthday present up there because you know that when Christmas time comes and somebody wants to give you a gift and they hold it out to you, what do you do? Do you put your hands in your pocket and say, well, that's wonderful, thank you so much? No, you reach out to receive it, don't you? And it's exactly the same with the love that God wants to give us. We have to reach out to receive it. There's a beautiful promise this is in this verse, a beautiful promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. So we need to believe it. And then secondly, uh, we need to receive it. And then secondly, we need to believe it. 1 John 4, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Now, please understand this, and this is really important, that belief that goes no farther than our heads can never bring peace to our hearts. Belief that just lingers at the intellectual level can never bring peace to our hearts. Relying on God's love is not about a performance or winning brownie points. It's not about rules. It's not even about religion. It's about having a relationship with a living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that relationship changes us and marks our lives. We, we discover that we have an appetite for knowing more of God. Where do we meet Jesus? In the Word. So we read the Word. Of course, that's a battle for us, isn't it? In the church I served for 23 years, we didn't talk about having a quiet time. We talked about having a chosen time because 
we choose to have it, and sometimes we choose not to have it. But if we know something about the love of God, we, we, we really want to know him. And, and we'll dig into the word of God because it's in the word of God that we meet with Jesus. And we're not prepared to put up with cheap substitutes. We want the real thing. We want to experience God and God's love. So how does God reveal his love? Well, we've talked about that. How do we respond to God's love? And there's a third and final thing that I want to say to you. And it's this, that when we receive God's love, we have to give it away. He doesn't give it to us for us to hold on to. And the way we can be sure that we have received God's love and and believe God's love for us is when we begin to give it away to others. If we try to hoard it for ourselves, it just demonstrates that we don't really understand it. And that's a fruitless thing to do. You see, the more of God's love we give away, the more he supplies. It's the ultimate gift that keeps on giving, the ultimate gift that keeps on giving. And God, God's word tells us that bestowing his love on others is an act of our will by faith. We really believe God's love is inexhaustible when we try our best to give it away. If we really think there's enough to go around, we won't try to keep it for ourselves. Giving it away is a command, and it was one of Jesus' last instructions to his disciples. He said in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the best kept secret in the church. By this everyone shall know that you are my disciples. Yes, I do know that the authorized version describes us as God's peculiar people. And it is true that some of us are more peculiar than others. And it's equally true, I think, that the really peculiar ones are fairly evenly distributed amongst the churches to keep us all humble and learning constantly about love and what it means to love unlovely folks. That's all part of it, isn't it? We have to learn to give it away. And Jesus said, a new command I give you. And we take note of the word command. This isn't an option. This is something that Jesus expects us to do. And yet, as I travel around, I meet so many people who love Jesus, but who don't like church because of some unpleasant experience that they've had. Why is is that? I don't think it should be like that, do you? Surely it shouldn't be. So I think we need to pray that God would fill our hearts with love and that he would give us plenty of opportunities of showing that love. Do bear in mind if you pray that prayer, give me opportunities of showing love, he might bring you into situations that are quite uncomfortable and give you a marvelous opportunity of showing love. It's a command, and this is what Jesus did. We are to love as he loved, sacrificially. The ultimate test that we're Jesus' disciples is whether or not we love one another. It is to be a love that notices need and gives sacrificially to meet it. I always used to look around after a church event in the hall to see who it was that stacked up the chairs and swept the floor and who just 
hooshed away, leaving others to do the work. What do we do when we see hurt? Do we say, thank you, Lord, it's not me, or do we try to get alongside to help where we can? I think sacrificial love requires that we do whatever we can. And sometimes it involves meeting a financial need, and love gives what it can. If the need requires time, love gives time. If someone needs to hear about Christ, Love takes the trouble to share faith. Oh, oh it doesn't uh, take the Bible and, and f- you know, form it into a truncheon to batter somebody's brains with. That, that's, that isn't love. Aggression and evangelism is a complete misunderstanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. Mother Teresa had said, preach the gospel, and if you absolutely have to, use words. In other words, I think that a Christian or to be the most courteous driver on the road. They do say that the last part of a person to be sanctified is their right foot as it rests on the accelerator. But I'm serious about this. If we are to love as Jesus loved, we will be courteous. We will be kind, especially to the person in the shop who is frazzled and frustrated and ungracious to us. We will respond with grace because the challenge, if we know anything of the love of God, is to make God's love visible. That's what God desires in us. If someone needs to hear about Jesus, well, we we prayerfully seek to get ourselves in a position where we're able to share with them. Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is within you. When do you make a defense? Is it not in response to an accusation? So when something goes wrong, maybe there's been a bereavement or some real difficulty. How we cope with it will impact other people. Sometimes they'll want to know, why don't you go out and get absolutely plastered the way everybody else does? And that gives you an opportunity of saying, well, I have a friend who helps me, and his name is Jesus, and he loves you too. There's a wonderful promise in Luke 6, verse 38, and it says, Given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's quite poignant, isn't it? The measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we've thought a little bit about what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And what the churches need now is love, sweet love. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people of Hamilton sense something of the fragrance of the beauty of Jesus in this place? that wasn't contained within the building, that overflowed into the community. Maybe one would say to another, there's something unusual going on in that church. Well, is that not a possibility? 
Of course it is. Is that what God desires from us? I think so, because I think that's what he teaches us in his word. May he help us. Bless us. And make us a blessing to others. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we are so very grateful that your word is clear and sometimes it's very simple. And we just want to pray for one another in these moments that as our heads are bowed in your presence, that you would send your Holy Spirit, that he might pour out a blessing on us Lock into our hearts whatever has been from your heart for us today. And we pray that as the week unfolds that we might have opportunity of loving one another and thus expressing love to you and of caring for those around us who don't know you. Lord, we pray not only for opportunities, but we pray for grace to know what to say to make the most of those opportunities. We ask these things as we commit one another into your care. In the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.